John chapter number 20 this morning. Man, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? A lot of places I could be and a lot of places I should be. Amen. We was, uh, me and Brother Taylor was out riding around through Jamestown the other day at 1 a.m. Got pulled over. We wasn't neither one of us driving, mind you. Got pulled over and I thought, you know, I tell people all the time, you could be in jail this morning. Sunday they may say, well, preacher's in jail. Amen. <laughs> but uh, thankfully we got out of it. Amen. And I wasn't worried about me, but Taylor has open warrants, so we were, we were worried about him, amen. John chapter number 20 this morning. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning about an episode in the life of the disciples, and particularly in the life of one of the disciples by the name of Thomas. And the uh, Lord laid a thought on my heart, and I want to share it with you today. Uh, the Lord is risen when we come to this portion of John chapter number 20. He is alive. He's still alive, amen. He's still risen today. We talk about it around Easter time, and I guess that's pretty good. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, he's alive every day, and he's alive this Sunday. Amen. And so the risen Lord uh, comes and meets with his disciples, and he meets with them in that locked room, and he reveals himself unto them. We find that one of them is missing, a man by the name of Thomas. And I want to preach to you for a few moments about something that Thomas says and about something that I think God says to your life and to mine this morning. John chapter 20, we'll begin reading at verse number 19. John chapter 20, verse number 19. The Bible says, then the same day, now that's on the day that the Lord has risen, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. In other words, they had them barred or locked. Into these locked doors came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, that sounds like a bunch of Baptists, don't they? They don't want to talk about church until you've missed, amen? So they talk and they say, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the, of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within. Evidently, Thomas had learned his lesson about missing church because Thomas was with them. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, you know, almost like he had heard what Thomas had said. Almost like he knew what Thomas had said. Just like he knows what you've said. Amen. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hand. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you might have life through His name. Let's pray together. Father, we love You this morning. Thank You for this place. Lord, I know it's not the brick and the mortar. Lord, I know that it's not even the people, but it's Your presence in this place. 
Lord, I'm sure thankful that I have a church home and a place I can go and worship you, Lord, and be around your people and gain encouragement. Lord, even already this morning, you've showed up. Lord, you've made your presence felt and known. And I'm mindful to praise you for it. I'm mindful to thank you for it, Lord, because we don't deserve it this morning. But Lord, by your grace, and by your mercy, and by your goodness, you've met with your people today that God would set down on Wall Ridge Road of all places and meet with us of all people. Lord, it humbles my heart this morning. And I pray that we'd not take for granted that reality. Lord, I pray we'd not trespass upon it. Lord, I pray that we would consecrate these next few moments unto you and consecrate ourselves unto you in making ourselves the domain of your working and allowing you to do in us that which would please you and would make us the most like Christ. Lord, I love you. I love you so much. I'm so thankful, Lord. Thank you for what you did in Steve's life this week. Thank you for, Lord, we're selfish and I know heaven's better than here, but I'm thankful you left him here and Lord, we love him. I pray you'd be with them. And Lord, thank you for Robin seeing her through her surgery. And Lord, just undoubtedly a hundred other things that we could mention if time would permit. But Lord, let's just say how good you are this morning and how precious you are this morning. I just want to thank you, Lord. I don't need you to be anybody but you, who you are. Lord, who you are is, is more than enough for me. And I don't need you to be anybody other than who you are this morning. Lord, thank you for being who you are and for loving us the way that you do. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our time together. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. When we come to this passage of Scripture, we find a most remarkable event taking place. The risen Lord meets with his disciples. You know, what a blessing it is to know that God wants to meet with his people. I don't know about you, man. There's churches I wouldn't want to go to. There's churches I wouldn't want to have church in. There's places I wouldn't want to meet. Amen. But... I'm glad the Lord will meet with His people. And so He meets with His disciples here in verse number 19. The Bible says, "...in the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you." Man, isn't that good how God works? I mean, I'm glad He can even move through closed doors. There's times if God couldn't move through the closed door of my heart, He couldn't have worked in my heart. Now, I'm not suggesting that I didn't have to let him work in my heart, but I'm just saying, man, if it had been just simply up to my intuition or my perspective, but hey, the sweet Holy Ghost of God began to work in my life and in my heart, show me where I was wrong, show me what needed to be right. You say, preacher, you mean back when you got saved? Yeah, and just about every day since then, amen? And I'm glad God can even work through closed doors. Some of y'all are praying for God to work through closed doors in your family. Some of y'all are praying for God to work through closed doors in your kids. And in your grandkids. And you say, preacher, can God do that? Yes, God can do that. I'm not saying He's going to do that and trample their will. I'm not saying He's going to do that and disregard their will. But I am saying that He knows how to woo and He knows how to win and He knows how to work in people's lives. Hey, man, I'm glad closed doors don't stop Him. Then notice what He does. The Bible says He came and He stood in the midst. You know, that's where Jesus wants to be. He wants to be in the midst of His people. Uh, everything about the incarnation and everything about the earthly ministry of the Lord and everything about Calvary declares and proclaims loudly to me that God has a desire to be with His people. You know, even that precious name, Emmanuel, that's given to us all the way back in the book of Isaiah and is attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels means God with us. The great truth of the incarnation, the great truth of the Christmas season, we just, I don't know if you know this, but we just had Christmas not too long ago. We do it about once a year. And, and, but the great truth of the Christmas season is not about mangers and it's not about inns and it's not about shepherds and it's not about gifts and all those things, but rather it's the incarnation. That God would robe Himself in flesh 
and walk amongst us. Hey, listen, the, the mystery of godliness that God would walk amongst mankind. What an amazing thing. And all through the Gospels, you'll find Jesus in the midst. He's in the midst of broken people. He's in the midst of hurting people. He's in the midst of lost people. I'm not saying that God does not have a special place amongst those that know Him and love Him and have uh, their lives together for Him, but I am saying He's not afraid of broken people. And He wants to get right in the middle of broken people and try to help and heal and fix their lives. If you're here today and you're saying, well, God wouldn't get near me, I'm broken. No, you're who God's looking for. He came, listen, to seek and to save that which was lost. Some of us, our problem is our much, we're much too found. Amen? We think we know right where we're at. You know, a man dies in his sins and goes to hell, not because he's lost, but because he's found in his eyes. That's why he dies and goes to hell. You say, well, preacher, I remember growing up. I guess I'll preach here in a moment. I remember growing up in a grocery store, and uh, I used to, I, man, I was a bad kid. And I, growing up in a grocery store, I, and they didn't parent back then. They just, we were feral. They just, you just ran. And mom and daddy would take us in to, well, dad wouldn't. Dad would be sitting in the car or sitting at home. Uh, but mom would take us in like a department store and, and we'd, we'd run around and, and play and I'd get in, you remember those circular clothes racks? I was that kid that got in the middle of them and waited for somebody to come looking for a coat and jumped out at the person. That's who I was. That tells you everything you need to know about me. Amen. That's my personality. And, uh, but there were a time or two, you know, I might get away from mom and she'd have to go and they'd call for me. You get, you get that call. Man, I knew I was in trouble if they ever had to give that call. You know, Toby Weber, please report to the front register. Your mother is looking for you. And they'd always say it like that, wouldn't they? They wouldn't say, hey, your mama misses you. They'd say, your mother is looking for you. Sound like Darth Vader, you know. And, and so they would, and I knew, man, I knew I was in trouble. But I knew this, if I got lost, they knew how to find me. You know, the, the trouble is not, if a person's here lost today, you say, preacher, is that a problem? It's not an insurmountable problem because of the grace of God. It's the biggest problem you have in your life because if you die in that condition, you'll die in your sins and go to hell. But God can save you this morning. But you know, hopeless men are men that believe they are found with no foundation for that belief. And hell's full of people that believe they were... Fa- they, they'd say this, they'd say, well, I'm, I'm just right just the way that I am. And I'm glad He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you're here broken today, you say, preacher, God wouldn't get anywhere near me. No, you're who He's looking for. He's looking. He didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. He's looking for you. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's who He's come for this morning. He loves to get in the midst. And I, over and over again in the Gospels, you'll find Jesus. He's in the midst of those that are in need of Him. And then I like the message that He gives. He says, peace be unto you. We preached a little bit about this in Sunday school. I don't know if I made him mad or if I, it was just bad. I didn't, we get, didn't get a lot of feedback. Amen. But we was talking about the Gospel of peace. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the Gospel of peace. What gospel is that? Is that a different gospel? I don't think so. Paul told them at the church at Galatia that if any man comes unto you preaching any other gospel than that which he had delivered unto them, that uh, they were not from the Lord, that they were to distance themselves from them, that, they, that God would judge them. And so I don't think it's talking about a different gospel. I think it's talking about an aspect of the gospel that we all know and love so well, that it is the gospel of peace. Hey, God wants to have peace with mankind. He does. It's not. Listen, it, God's not warring against man. Man's warring against God. Uh, listen, it, the Bible don't say, why does the heavens rage? It says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? God has extended Calvary as grace to you, and He would save you if you'll receive it. 
He wants you to have peace. Hey, listen, He wants to reconcile us unto Himself by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He can do that very thing. And so Jesus, man, He just shows up and they have church. And I love it. I want you to notice a few things that Jesus gave. Verse 19, I see the presence He gave. He wants to be in the midst of His people. I will tell you, in your life and mine, we have to have the presence of God if we're going to live for the Lord. You say, what does that look like, preacher? Well, for one thing, we have His presence in His Word. I mean, I understand that, uh, you know, that, that this is God's Word, and I understand that, I understand God is not just a Bible walking around, and I understand that my Bible is not just God in miniature figure form sitting there, but these are the words of God. Not just the message of God, not just the truth of God, not just the Word of God generic, but these are the words of God. If I want to God thinks about something, I can go to my Bible and I can learn it. And so if I want the presence of God in my life, I can go to the Word of God. i got to let the Spirit of God, if I'm a saved individual, i got to let the Spirit of God govern and guide my life. To as many uh, as received Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on His name. But then Paul says in the book of Romans uh, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so the way that God expresses that life through us is through the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. Then I think we can worship and sense and enjoy the presence of God. I think that God wants to dwell amongst His people. I think that God has a desire. I see the presence that He gave. But then look at verse 20. I see the proof that He gave. The Bible says this, When He had so said, He showed unto them His hands and His side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now, I can't speak to everything that was going through their heart and through their mind, but you know, those those prints in his hand and that, that scar or that riven place in his side, those were proof that he loved them. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross of Calvary is the evidence of God's love for us and he shows up and reminds them how much he loves them. Now, if it had been like most churches that are rooted in uh, politeness instead of precept, he would have covered those scars up because he wouldn't want them to feel bad. But that's not what he did. He put those on display. You know, part of Bible preaching is not trying to cover up the Word of God so you don't feel bad. But it's putting it on display so that you can see how much he loves you. That's why a Bible preacher will call you a sinner and tell you you're on your way to hell. And that's why a Bible preacher will tell you you're low down and no good and rotten and filthy and unclean. It ain't because he hates you. What's he doing? He's putting the evidence of your sin on display so that you can see the evidence of God's love on display. That in spite of all that, God still loves you. So I see the proof that he gave him. And then I see the peace that he gave. The Bible says, verse 21, And said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Twice in this instance, and he'll say it again later on, eight days later when he shows up, but he talks about peace. You know, the peace of God is not just a judicial matter of us being reconciled to the Lord, but God also wants his people to experience the peace of God in their life. The Bible says we ought to let the peace of God reign in us. And listen, I get upset sometimes every now and then. I, I get I get out of frame sometimes. I bet you do too. And sometimes I get worried and sometimes I let anxiousness dominate my life. I know you wouldn't never dare do such a thing, but sometimes I do. But you know, I shouldn't because God's got everything under control. I don't know if that approves uh, with the standard and bar and credentials of the American Psychiatric Association. 
But as a born-again, blood-washed believer, you can have peace, not just with God, but the peace of God. It don't mean you'll never have problems. It don't mean you'll never have an anxious thought. But it does mean that we can bring those thoughts under subjection, casting down every imagination and high thing that exalteth itself against Christ. We can bring those things in subjugation to Christ. You say, preacher, I'm never going to have a worried thought. No, you'll have a worried thought. It's what are you going to do with that worried thought? Are you going to just wrap it around you like a blanket? Are you going to dig a hole in it and crawl inside? Or are you going to take that thing to the Lord and say, now, Lord, I'm troubled. I need your peace and I need your help. Man, we need peace. And he he gave him peace. I see the power he gave. Verse 22. This is amazing. Nobody really says a lot about this. And I think that's a shame. The Bible says when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Isn't that precious? I want to be careful that I don't say more than I have biblical authority to say. I will tell you that what I'm about to say is not well thought out. So take that for what it's worth. Amen. But isn't it something? Hey, listen, that God breathed into the first Adam and gave him the breath of life. And the second Adam breathes into man and gives the breath of the Spirit of life. And you know, that's what when you get born again, God indwells you by the Holy Spirit. He indwells you by the Holy Spirit. No man that's born again in this day of grace, uh, that, that no man that does not have the Spirit of God indwelling them in this day of grace is born again. Wow. I'm sorry, you ain't read our statement of faith? Where'd you think? Did you think you walked into a Presbyterian church this morning? Listen, if you're saved, the Spirit of God lives in you. If the Spirit of God does not live in you, then you are not saved. You say, preacher, is the only way I can know I'm saved is if the Spirit of God lives within me? Well, the Word of God gives us the basis and foundation and criteria. But I will tell you this, if you're born again, the Spirit of God will live inside you. He does live inside you. It's not just He will or He might or He may, but He does live inside you. And here in, in, in this upper room, we find the Lord Jesus. He breathes on them and He empowers them. He gives them the power to live a righteous life by the administration of the Holy Spirit. I see the power that He gave. And then I see the purpose that He gave. Verse 23, He says, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now, I think a lot of people have read too much into what the Lord says here. And certainly the papists have. Uh, and they have suggested with this and other places uh, that what this is doing is, it is investing in man the authority to, to decide who can be forgiven and who cannot be forgiven. And I don't think that's what's happening here. I think rather he is recognizing and acknowledging the fact that the apostles will be the arbiters of truth for a short period of time. And, uh, you know, some of those that were in that room, we've got New Testament Scripture from their pen. It was the Holy Ghost gave it to us, but we've got New Testament Scripture from their pen. And here's what he's saying. He's saying there's a purpose and a function to which you're going to serve. Man, I'm glad God gives us purpose, aren't you? I'd have a purposeless life without that. Me and Brother Jay was talking about in Sunday school this morning. Man, there's all kinds of people whose purpose in life is silly, small things. Listen, I'm not trying to be haughty. I'm not trying to be high-minded. But you ought to be living for more than your job. You should. I'm not against you having a job, but you ought to be living for more than your job. Uh, You ought to be living for more than your hobbies. I'm not against hobbies, man. I mean, that's fine. My soul, some of y'all need to be kept busy. Burn this place down if we don't keep you busy. But that shouldn't be what you're living for. You should be living for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I see the purpose that he gave. But then when I come to this passage of Scripture, I notice not only what Jesus gave, but I notice there's a man that's not there in that room. And he's a man by the name of Thomas. Thomas arrives late for church, amen, shows up. God's already done and went home. And uh, when he gets there, he finds out that he had missed 
Jesus. I want you to notice what Thomas missed in this passage. Well, verse 24 tells us about his disappearance. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Uh, You know, it's not just the statements in God's Word that are profound, but it's the silences in God's Word that are profound. Sometimes it's not what God does say, but it's what God does not say or chooses not to say that is interesting. And you know what's interesting? Uh, The Holy Ghost doesn't make a single excuse for Thomas. He doesn't say, well, now listen, Thomas would have been there, but, you know, family's in town. Well, Thomas would have been there, but he wasn't feeling real well. Well, Thomas would have been there, but he went to Dollywood yesterday. Well, Tom, Thomas, Thomas would have been there, but, you know, they had responsibilities. Instead, all it says is just, hey, Thomas, he should have been there and he wasn't there. I, I hope you'll abide what I'm about to say. I don't hate you. I promise. I love you. But can I tell you this? At the end of the day, our, our excuses are going to matter a lot less on that side of the veil than they do on this side of the veil. And they may satisfy us, but I wonder, do they ever satisfy God? Gives no excuse as to where he was. No reason as to where he was. He was just not there. Because the thing that was meaningful was not why. It was where or where not. He was gone. He was missing. And you know, every time you miss, you miss something. I'm not mad at you. You're here today. I'm proud. That's awesome. I mean, you beat out 89% of, of Christians by just being here today. But when you miss, every time you miss, you miss something. And it ain't that you might miss what I say. Because, you know, what I say is not all that important. And to be honest, you can get online, you can listen to it on, on the technology, and you can hear what I have to say. It's not that you miss what everybody's going to wear. <laughs> I hope it's not that you miss the drama. I hope there ain't enough drama around here to keep you coming back to church. Amen? And uh, that's one of the good things. That's how you make a drama-free church is you get people that don't like drama. If you get people that like drama, they're going to make drama when there ain't no drama. And I like homegrown vegetables, don't you? And I love homegrown. I don't want to buy that junk out of the grocery store if I can help it. I like homegrown vegetables. So you know what I do? I grow them because I want them. And I know they ain't going to be there on their own, and so I grow them. You know what happens? People that want drama, if they can't find it, they'll grow it. They'll grow it. And the only thing, the only way you're going to have a church of peace is if you cultivate an environment where there ain't no interest in drama. It's boring. It's uninteresting. You say, well, preacher, what could be more interesting than drama? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't even know what I was preaching, but I, that, that felt good to say. <laughs> I don't know how you felt about it, but I, I thought that was good. I see his disappearance in this passage. And you know, at the end of the day, when you miss, man, you've, You've always missed something. Well, he missed, he missed a lot. I see his disappearance. And then I see his disappointment, verse 25. This is just like Baptists do. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. I remember years ago, I used to be on a, uh, a little chat group with a bunch of preachers and, uh, they, they'd all, I don't, I don't know why preachers do this, but they did. We, they'd all get on there on Sundays, like Sunday afternoons, Sunday nights, and they'd be talking about church that they had. And uh, they, they'd get on there and they'd say, oh, son, it was like I've never seen it before. All of them. They'd all said, there's eight, ten preachers on there. They'd say, son, we got out of the banks. I mean, I'm talking about it was thick in there. I mean, people running, people shouting. A bunch of liars is what they were. I've been to some of their churches. Some of them wouldn't know how to have church if God sat down right on the platform. And that used to irk me. And so I'd always get on there. I don't know. Y'all may be embarrassed about what. Y'all may get mad at me at what I'm about to say. But I used to get on there and I'd say, boy, we had a terrible service today. It was awful. I mean, just terrible. It was dead. Nobody wanted to hear no preaching. I had four families get mad at me. It was terrible. Now, we might have blew it out that Sunday. But I thought to myself, there... <laughs> 
I thought to myself, they're lying for the flesh. I can lie a little bit to encourage somebody. And I thought to myself, there's somebody in this group that's sitting there listening to all these preachers lie about what good church they had, thinking, well, I don't never have church like that. And so at least somebody in there could say, well, at least me and Toby Weber have terrible church. Amen? <laughs> because they get on there and every we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. And I can just see them running up to Thomas. Thomas, son, you missed it. I mean, you should have been here, boy. I'm talking about God just come walking through that door and said, peace be unto you. He was here. Yeah, he was here. He, it, did you did you see him? Yeah, we saw him. How do you know that it was him? He showed us the nail prints. He showed us the place in his side. And you can imagine the disappointment that Thomas felt. He learned all of a sudden what he had missed. I want you to think about this. In his mind, he begins to believe something's missing in my life. There's something God did for them that He didn't do for me. There's something missing in my life, and he, he gets fixated on it. And instead of trying to run out and find the Lord, instead of falling down on His knees and begging God, here's what He says. Notice His disbelief, verse 25. But He said unto them, Except I shall see the, in, in His hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into His side, I will not believe. Thomas then sets up a criteria whereby he says, if God loves me, he'll do this thing for me. If I'm going to go on, I'm going to have to experience this. If my faith is not going to die, I need this in my life. Well, what, notice not just what Jesus gave and what Thomas missed, but notice what Thomas thought. Here's what he thought. Number one, he thought he needed to see. If I don't see the nail prints, then I will not believe. Now, is that not completely disconsonant with the concept and principle of biblical faith? In fact, New Testament, Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. If your faith needs signs and sight, then it's really not faith at all. He wanted to see. Not only did he think he needed to see something. Give me proof. Show me proof. Show me. I want to see something incredible. But number two, he thought he needed to feel. He says, put my finger into the print of the nails. Thrust my hand into his side. He says, I don't just want to see it. I want to feel it. You know, some people's Christianity is rooted in what they can feel. Now listen, I ain't afraid to feel my Christianity. And I, I don't think anybody around here any amount of time would, would, would lodge that accusation against us that we're, that we're just too formal. And that we don't like to have fun and enjoy church and, and that, that we are un, I hope they could never say we're unwelcome to the, Spirit of God, and and I, I listen. I like to I, I like faith that I can feel, but there's a difference between faith and feeling. Thomas says, "I can't go on if I don't see something. I can't go on if I don't feel something. I need this experience." And then I'd say number three, he he thought he needed proof. He says, "If I don't get all this, I will not believe." Now I don't know if he understood the significance of how he said that. He didn't say, "I cannot." He said, "I will not." And you know, that's the reality of, of how faith is. The atheist would say, I cannot believe, but they believe all sorts of outlandish things. Things that are not rooted in science, things that are not rooted in truth, things that are not rooted in common sense. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I could go on, I could give example after example, but they say, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. But you know, that's not true. The problem is not that you cannot believe, the problem is you will not believe. And the matter of salvation is not a matter of capability, it's a matter of willingness. Are you willing to believe? You remember what the Lord Jesus says to the man uh, at the uh, bull of Bethesda. Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? 
There was a leper one day that said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And you know what the Lord did? He made him clean. In other words, he was saying, I'm willing if you're willing, God. God said, I'm willing if you're willing. (laughs) And you know, it's a matter of the will. So Thomas, he says, I will not believe. And what he's saying is, I need proof. I need proof that he's who he said he is. I need proof that I I want to see those nail prints. I need proof that he loves me. I cannot go on unless I get this very thing. And you know, there's all sorts of people in their life that they go through trials, they go through hardships, they go through questions and calamity. They begin to question whether God loves them, whether God cares about them. They begin to question whether this thing of living for Christ and living for the Lord is worth it, whether this thing of going to church and being a part of a local body is worth it. And sometimes they'll set things up in their life that they'll say, I need this. If this would happen, it would fix me. You say, preacher, how do you know people do that? Well, because I've met them. I've met them at their doorstep. I've asked them, you know, they, they profess to be saved. They'd say, yeah, I'm saved. And some of them have a solid testimony. You say, well, where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you go to church anymore? Well, you know, preacher got messed up. Somebody hurt my feelings. Something happened down there. And here's what they've said. What they've said is, if they won't be perfect down at the church house, I will not go. Sometimes you'll ask them, you'll say, well, why aren't you going to church? Why aren't you living for the Lord? They'll say, I don't know. You know, I just, I lost somebody or I had a tragedy and I just started to get questions. Here's what they've said. If I don't understand everything about God, I will not go. I will not believe. And they have set this thing up in their mind saying, this is what I need. I found something interesting. I'm not, believe it or not, I'm not an aficionado of fine art. I know that's hard for you to believe. I don't go to a lot of art galleries, but, uh, you know, I, I, I like a pretty painting every now and then, and especially them, them signs from gas stations with the motor oil and stuff on them. I like those a lot. Or uh, maybe some of them, them tins from ammo companies with bird dogs on them. Nice, fine art. But, you know, when you begin to look at uh, a lot of medieval art and paintings, you know, of course, a lot of them were done in biblical scenes. And, you know, something I've always been interested in, when you look, there's been a lot of famous painters that have painted this scene of Thomas interacting with the Lord. And, you know, I found something interesting in all but one example. They all agree in one point. In every one of them, Thomas has his finger in the nail prints or he has his hand in the open wound on the side of the Lord Jesus. Everyone that I saw, except for Rembrandt, in the incredulity of Thomas. He's the only one of all of the great masters of art that painted it correctly. Because when I read my Bible, here's what I find interesting. Thomas says, I need these things, I need these things, I need these things. But look a little further in your text, verse 26. The Bible says, after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. Now, he said, Peace be unto you. And then, then he saith, to, saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Now remember, this is a man that said, If I don't see, if I don't feel, if I don't know, then I'm not going to believe. In verse number 28, Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. In other words, Thomas said, I need all this. But here's the truth. He really didn't need what he thought he needed. I'm going to preach to you on that thought for a moment or two this morning. You really don't need what you think you need. There are certain things that you think if God would do in your life, that it would fix everything. You think if God would fix that child, that everything would be all right. 
You think if God would fix those debts, that everything would be all right. You think that if God would heal your marriage, that everything would be all right. You think if God would take away those memories or those hurts or those anxieties, that it would all be better. And you say, well, preacher, you're discouraging me this morning. No, here's why I'm not discouraging you. Here's why I am encouraging you. Here's the reality. You may never get rid of those things. You may never see those things changed. But here's the truth. You really don't need what you think you need. That thing that you've set up and said, unless God does this, I will not believe. You said that, but God hasn't said that. And you'll find that if you'll just learn from this passage what God does in the life of Thomas, you'll find out some things that you really do need. You see, the meeting between Thomas and the Lord revealed that Thomas didn't need what he thought he needed. So what did he need? He didn't need to touch the fingerprints. He didn't need to touch the scar or the wound in his sight. He didn't need those things. What did he need? Well, I want you to notice three things and I'll be done this morning. Look back with me at verse 26. The Bible says this, after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. You know what I'm fascinated by in this passage is how similar this meeting is to how they had church one week earlier. You know, there's some folks have the idea that church ought to just be chaos and bedlam, that if you have any structure to it, somehow you're hampering and, and, or hampering and hindering the Holy Ghost. But I would notice this, that the Lord, He starts to have church exactly the same way this week as He did last week. But when it's time to do something specific in somebody's life, He speaks directly, specifically to them. You say, preacher, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this. Hey, God is not the God of chaos and confusion. He's a God of order. There's nothing wrong with having order as long as we don't order Him out the back door. And here He shows up. And here's what He does. He does for Thomas the same thing He did for the others. Thomas would say this, I need proof. Well, the Lord does go on to show him his nail prints and his side. But you find that Thomas's attention, whenever the Lord shows up, he does not approach the Lord. He is as awestruck as the rest of the disciples to see the presence of the Lord in that place. And can I say this this morning? Here's what you really need. He needed presence instead of proof. You think you need proof that God loves you. You think you need proof that it's all going to work out. You think you need proof that you've made good decisions. You think you need proof that you're never going to get hurt again. You think that's what it's going to take to go on. But can I report to you this morning, you don't need proof. Say, preacher, is there proof? Well, sometimes there is and sometimes there ain't for certain things that we're expecting in life. But can I tell you, for Thomas, the moment the Lord shows up, Thomas never says anything else about it. It's not like the Lord shows up and Thomas says, well, good, he's here. I can see those nail prints. The moment the Lord showed up, there was no doubt in his mind. He knew who he was. Can I tell you what you need more than anything? You say, well, preacher, if if God would just prove this and fix this and fix that in my life, if he would just prove he loves me by taking this burden off me, if he'd prove he loves me by taking this hurt away, if he'd prove that he cares about me by fixing this problem, then everything would be okay. No, that's not true. Because your criteria is that God must consistently, continually prove his love. Hey, uh, those of you, those here at at, at the Wall Ridge Baptist Church, uh, uh, before whose eyes Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified, among you. How much more proof do you need that God loves you? He loves you. Look at Calvary and tell that He loves you. 
Now, I'm not, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not chiding you this morning. What I'm trying to say is this. You think you can't go forward in your walk with God until these problems are fixed, until you get through this thing, until you get past this barrier. But that's a lie from the devil. You can go forward with the presence of God. If you'll just walk in the presence of God. If you'll just live in the presence of God. You say, preacher, I don't know what you mean. I don't understand. I'm talking about getting in your Bible and listening for God's voice when you read it. I'm talking about letting the Holy Spirit of God deal with you and govern your life, convict you and conform your life to the image of Christ. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living your life in prayer and walking with God. See, here's the thing. You want everything to be fixed so you don't need Him anymore. But He ain't going to fix everything till you don't need Him anymore. You're going to need Him every day of your life. And the sooner you come to terms with that and recognize that you don't have to have everything fixed, you just need His presence. And He'll be sufficient the sooner help that you will receive. I, I say He needed presence instead of proof. I'm going to mention a second thing. You don't believe I'm preaching that fast, but I am. There ain't no points to my subpoints and subpoints. I don't, I, I expect a lot of compliments after this, all right? <laughs> Verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Isn't that amazing? The Lord would do that for him. Can can I just say this? He shouldn't have to prove his love to us. But boy, he does it all the time. What a petulant child of God I am. What a sulky, spoiled child of God I am. That I'd sit down in the mess of my own making and whine and cry and moan and say, God, prove it when He's already proved it. He proved it with His death. What more do I need? Let me tell you how good my God is. Knowing that I'm dust. Knowing my infirmity. Even though He shouldn't have to. Even though He don't have to. Even though I don't deserve for it to be done. How off day by day He proves once and again how careful and caring He is in my life, how much He loves me. My soul, what a sport child of the Lord I am. What a sport child of the Lord I am. And that's what He does for Thomas. He shows up. He says, aren't you want proof? I'll show you proof. I'll show you proof. He says, go ahead. You think I'm afraid? You think I'm afraid to prove to you? You might be more afraid of the proof than God is. Because if He proves it to you, He's going to kick that crutch right out from under your leg. And you're going to have to start walking for Him. You better be careful what you ask. And so he says, I I need to feel something. I need to feel something. I need to feel something. But then Jesus shows up and says, all right, Thomas, come on, let's go. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas all of a sudden says, you know, Lord, it's funny. I thought I needed that. But now that I see you standing here, I realize I don't need that. Now that I see you standing here risen, it couldn't be anybody but you. I wonder sometimes what Thomas thought. The flesh is irrational. And I wonder sometimes what Thomas thought. Did he walk out of that first prayer meeting saying, all them, all them fellows agreed together and lied to me? Is that what he thought? See, people wouldn't think that. Well, but people that don't believe the Bible think that all the time. Think that thousands of people conspired together just to keep you from partying. <laughs> Produce the Word of God just to ruin your day. And maybe he thought, I mean, maybe he thought like, well, they've all got together. They're pulling a joke on me. They're pulling a prank on me. Maybe he thought they're punishing me. I wasn't here with them. I left and I wasn't present. I mean, they're all gathered for fear of the Jews. I'm going to be honest with you. Listen, if the government's ever getting ready to come in, mow us all down, we got to bar the door. Anybody that leaves ain't getting back in. All right. 
We'll put that in our bylaws if we have to. <laughs> and, and, and maybe, maybe he thought, well, they're mad at me. They're punishing me. I don't know. The flesh is irrational. But somewhere in his mind, he thought it's not him. It's not him. It can't be him. There's no way it's him. I won't believe it's him unless I see those nail prints, unless I see that wound. I won't believe it's him. And that was all good until Jesus showed up. Then he looks at him and he goes, it couldn't be anybody but him. <laughs> it couldn't be anybody but him. Here's what he needed. He, he, he needed presence instead of proof. But number two, he needed faith instead of feeling. See, if he had felt, that feeling would have gone away. But that faith lived on. Can I say in your life, you say, well, preacher, I need to feel something. I need to feel. I ain't going to get serious for God unless I come to church and I feel something. Can I tell you this? Feelings come and go. My preacher used to say, if you want a feeling, come here. I'll hit you in the head with a brick and give you a feeling. Amen? Uh, feelings come and go. And again, I, I'm, I'm not against them. I mean, I, I, I have feelings. You can't, you can't be a Baptist pastor and be against feelings. Because they're constantly laying right out in the center aisle. You don't know? Do you not understand what I mean? Some people drag them behind them all the time. And you're going to trip over them sooner or later. Uh, they'll see you walking by. They'll throw them out in the aisle right in front of you. You trip over them. They say, why'd you hurt my feelings? And you, uh, listen, if you're, if you're contrary to feelings, pastoring's not where you ought to be. And I got news for you. If you don't like feelings, you probably ought to get out of a Baptist church. Because you're around a group of people that knows how to have them. They got feelings. They got lots of them. They got them for days. They got big feelings. <laughs> I'm not against them. But I'm just saying that your Christianity must be rooted in something other than feeling. And oftentimes you say, well, preacher, I just need to feel something. I need to feel something. No, that's not what you need to do. You need to trust God. You say, well, preacher, you're just telling me to trust God and it ain't going to get no better. No, I'm saying if you trust God, God will make His self known unto you and will give you the strength and the grace that you need. You'll find this. You'll find that what you get in faith is far better than what you could ever get in feeling. And I'll tell you a little secret. You ready? You can prioritize feeling the rest of your life and your faith will never grow. But if you will prioritize faith, you'll find that your faith will control your feelings. And your faith, biblical faith, will give you something to feel about. It'll give you, I mean, listen, you won't be walking around sour and miserable and sorry all the time. But it doesn't begin with feeling and extend to faith. That's a manward perspective. It begins with faith and it calms our heart and our mind. You're going to have to trust the Lord. He said, I need to feel. And then when God showed up, all of a sudden, He didn't need that anymore. I want you to notice one more than maybe three or four others. But verse 22. It's interesting. The Bible says this. When he had said this, verse 22, it's in the first meeting, right? First meeting, first Sunday church. He says, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, if I follow the timeline correctly, and, and likely there's people between this pew and, oh, I don't know, anywhere that I'd find some disagreement about, about some of the things that I'm about to say. I, I believe the church as an entity probably started at Pentecost. But I believe people being in the body of Christ probably started here in John chapter number 20 because we were baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. You, do you just not know or disagree or hate me or confused or have to burp? You all right? Now, you can disagree with that. That's fine. I, I don't. That's okay. I can bear it if you can. But I, I believe that in John chapter number 20, when he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, I believe that the Spirit of God began to take up residence, at least to some respect, to some degree, in, 
And here's what I find interesting. He does that for ten of them. Judas is not there. Thomas is not there. This isn't my message, but let me just say this. I, I, I'd want to show up just because I wouldn't want to be associated with Judas. <laughs> it's a good reason to go to church. And, and when I read my Bible, I find this, that the Holy Spirit of God until the day of Pentecost does not fall from heaven and begin to rest on men and dwell them in a unique way that we understand and associate with the new birth and the dispensation of grace until the day of Pentecost. Now, you can believe anything and insert anything into Scripture that you want. You can, because you like to believe it, believe that uh, Jesus did this for Thomas as well and, and he just didn't know and we just don't, you know, it didn't record it so we don't know and so on and so But if I read my Bible, I read that ten of them got something that Thomas didn't. Right? Am I right? Are you okay? Have you got an Uber waiting? Are you all right? Am I making you nervous? I mean, that's what my Bible says. He breathed on them. They received the Holy Ghost. Guess who wasn't in them? Thomas. Guess when the Bible says that writ large, the Spirit of God begins to indwell men. And I'm aware of the distinctions. You can go through the book of Acts and find the disciples. And I understand. But there at the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God begins to indwell men, 49 days later. Now stop and think about this. The Bible says, and, and, and Christ makes this statement, uh, you know, before his ascension. He says, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Christ associated the indwelling of the Spirit of God and his ministration with power. And he gave power to the disciples, but not to Thomas. Thomas didn't, Thomas didn't, presumably he would have at Pentecost. But he didn't hear in the upper room. And nowhere does my Bible say that there's some special exception he made just for Thomas. I have every biblical reason to believe that for the next seven weeks of their life, the disciples were indwelt by the Spirit of God, except Thomas. Jesus empowered them for the cause and calling and purpose that he had for them. But not Thomas. Thomas missed out on it. You know what I find interesting? You would think, I mean, it's just you'd think we'd probably do this in a Baptist church. That Jesus, whenever Thomas showed up, he just said, now listen, boy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you missed it, but let me catch you up and go ahead and breathe in him the Holy Spirit as well. But according to the record of my Bible, he doesn't. I have no reason to believe that he does. You know, here's what he needed. I'm just going to say it because I don't know if you're ever going to climb on this train with me, so we might as well leave the station. Here's what he needed. He needed patience instead of power. He needed patience instead of power. As far as I know, Thomas didn't fall out between this moment and Pentecost. It didn't break his faith. He didn't go shipwrecked. But I bet that was a hard seven weeks. His spirit ain't bearing witness with their spirit. They got something he ain't got. They're feeling something he ain't feeling. And you know, he probably would have thought to himself, I need what they have. I've got to have what they're experiencing. I've got to have what they, I need the same power that they have. He probably would have felt powerless. And Christ could have rectified that. But instead he chose to allow Thomas to have to wait until the day of Pentecost. You know what you probably think? You probably think God needs to give me the strength to get past this. God gives me the, needs to give me the strength to overcome this. 
God needs to give me the strength and the resources to fix this. God needs to give me the strength to make this better. But that might not be true. That might not at all be what you need. It might be what you need is patience to trust Him instead of the power to replace Him. Oh, that's okay. You want to listen? You might, you might need the patience to trust Him instead of the power to replace Him. To be in His stead and to, and to no longer need Him anymore because you can do it for yourself instead of needing Him. You might need the patience to trust Him. You know, Paul talked about patience in the book of Colossians. Chapter number one, he said, strengthen with all, with all might, according to his glorious working. Do you know what he said? And all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. We want, we want power to leap tall buildings in a single bound. We want, we want power to take on the gates of hell and, and, and to fight back all the foes. We want power to take the mastery of our life and fix all of our problems. But you know what Paul said? When God gives us strength, he gives us strength unto patience. And long-suffering with all joyfulness. So you say, well, preacher, if God would just give me what I need this morning. Well, you might need something different than what you think you need. And it might be if God gave you what you think you need that it would destroy you. Can I, can I mention one more? I mean, I might as well. You're mad anyway. I might as well. I'm, who, am I, who am I trying to impress at this place, you know, at this stage? Let me just, I'm just, I ain't even going to preach it. I'm going to mention it. But can I say something? If you're here lost without Christ today, I want you to notice verse 30. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Jesus did more that's not in this Bible than he did that's in this Bible. In fact, the Bible, John would go on to say the book of the world couldn't contain the books. But he says this, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Can I just say this to you in closing? If you're here lost without Christ today, you know what you need? You need salvation instead of signs. You need mercy instead of miracles. You need His grace instead of His great works. And whenever we read this, here's what the Holy Ghost says. It says, I could have told you a lot more, but I, I edited it down. I pared it down. I constrained it to those things that would call upon men to come to Christ. Because at the end of the day, what they need is a Savior, not a magician. If you're here lost without Christ, can I tell you what you need more than any kind of signs or great religious experiences? You need to be born again by the truth of the Word of God and by the operation of the Spirit of God and by the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, here's all I'm saying this morning. I'm just saying there's some things you might think you need. But if you just submit yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, give me what I need, what I need, you might be surprised at what you really need in your life. Preacher, I need proof. Well, you might just need His presence in your life. Preacher, I need to feel something. No, you might just need faith in your life. Preacher, I need power to overcome something. No, you might just need patience in your life. And God can give you all those things and more. Let's bow together this morning. Musicians going to come play and the altar is open. I, I invite you, if God touched your heart, to meet Him in the altar. I've already preached my message, so I'm not going to ask a hundred questions. I... I just want you to mind the Lord this morning. Here in a moment, I'm going to ask for those that might be lost to be willing to be honest enough with the Lord to confess it to the Lord. But for those of you that are here saved this morning, if God touched your heart, won't you meet Him down here? Won't you meet Him down here? Ah, oh, preacher, I don't need that. You might need something you don't think you need. And there might be something you think you can't live without that you don't need at all. 
God touched your heart, would you meet him down here this morning? Father, bless this invitation. Magnify the Lord Jesus. Lord, I love you. I ask it in Christ's name.